This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land. And this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Two electric car enthusiasts have taken the government to court and won. A controversial road user tax on electric vehicles has been sensationally axed by the High Court. The state government does not have the power to impose the charge. They were fighting a controversial Victorian tax that charged EV owners for every kilometre they drove, claiming it needlessly made the transition to greener, lower emissions vehicles harder. It just feels like a slap in the face. As an early adopter, it feels like a punishment for trying to do the right thing. This landmark decision comes as Labor continues to stall on their highly anticipated and widely supported fuel efficiency standard, which will create a cap for car emissions. With no risk of punishment for breaching non-existent standards, manufacturers are sending new models overseas. The delay has prompted some experts to say our efforts to lower transport emissions have gone backwards under Labor. Today... I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of Newsroom Mark Tisha about what the High Court decision means for electric cars. It's Friday, the 20th of October. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Hi. There was an interesting high court case this week involving electric cars, Lenore. It's quite complicated. What happened? Okay, I'm going to do my best here and Mm. bear with me. It starts with the Constitution. Two revved up vehicle drivers are taking the Andrews government to the high court in a David and Goliath battle over electric cars. The Constitution says the power to impose duties of customs and excise can only happen from the Commonwealth government. They say the EV tax is unconstitutional and it could have serious implications. Two Victorian EV drivers launched this case arguing that the Victorian government's zero and low emission vehicle road user charge, so a charge that is only on EVs, contravened that provision of the Constitution because it was a tax on the consumption of a good or service, namely EVs. Car manufacturers and environmental groups already called it the worst electric vehicle policy in the world. Today's high court- These two plaintiffs were just really cross that the Victorian government was bringing in this really silly tax. Oh, look, I, I, I got involved with this case because I'm passionate about climate action. I'd spent a good... I think one of them had had an EV since a hybrid since 2012 or something. When I heard about the tax in 2021, I just thought, come on, you can't be serious. How can you tax electric vehicles? We need more of them. They didn't imagine that their court case would have all of these ramifications. They just wanted to make a point about EVs. And it means tens of millions of tax dollars will have to be found another way after the High Court ruled a road user tax unconstitutional. 
All the states sided with Victoria and said, we want to keep it the way it is. But the High Court overturned that interpretation, said it was an excise and struck down the tax. So the two EV drivers won and the states lost. And so that then has a whole bunch of ramifications for EVs, for the way state and federal governments levy taxes, for, you know, road user charges. It threw a spanner in a lot of works. Mm. Okay, there's a lot to get into, but I wonder, Mike, if we can first talk about what the tax was and why Victoria did it in the first place. So when everyone drove petrol and diesel-driven cars, taxes are paid through the fuel excise, which is a federal levied tax on just on the consumption of fuel. That's fairly straightforward. But obviously, if you have an EV, you don't buy fuel, so you don't pay the tax. So Victoria and all the other states have had to try to think of their way around how to charge people who have bought EVs a similar tax to supposedly pay for the roads. It's not a hypothecated tax, i.e. the fuel excise does not actually go to upkeeping the roads in any direct way. And it's a lot of general revenue. It's like $13 billion a year, so it's a big hole in budgets. So the federal government does that tax. But this was a Victorian tax. So what's going on there? So there is a very complicated system of distributing revenue between federal and state governments. There is an imbalance between who's allowed to raise the tax and who's spending the actual money. And this throws a big spanner into that works, if you like, because this problem, this hole in the revenue problem means that really the only way to fill it is for some sort of national tax, maybe a national road user charge, although, as Mike says, since 1992, the fuel tax is just a general revenue-raising tax, so it doesn't actually directly go to road user charges. So it's just a general big fat hole in the Victorian budget and probably in other states' budgets because lots of the other states were looking to go down the same path depending on how this court case came out. So that leads to an interesting political dilemma, right, because the state's inevitably, will be saying to the federal government, you need to do something about this on a national level. A federal government don't generally love introducing new taxes, <laughs> you know, in the lead up to federal elections, just as a rule, you know. I mean, it also goes to the sort of balance between of power, I guess, between federal and state governments. So one of the judges, which I really liked this bit, said that this is a minority judge. So he was arguing that, you know, the situation should stay as it was. He said, if you accepted that this Victorian tax wasn't any good, it would distort the relationship between the states and territories and the Commonwealth in a way that was unintended by the founding fathers. It would render the states and territories the constitutionally fiscal minions of the Commonwealth. So it goes to who can raise money. It goes to the balance of power between the federal government and the states. It might actually apply to a whole bunch of taxes other than road taxes to other taxes that might now be considered to be excise. So it's important for EVs, but it's actually probably going to be really important for federal state relations as well. I think we should say something about the unbelievably cumbersome and stupid way this tax was collected. Yeah, mm. it was a dumb tax. It was a so, but it wasn't knocked off because it was a dumb no, tax. No, no, there was, that was nothing but to it do was with the arguments in the tax. High Court. So EV drivers had to, every year, had to take a photograph of their odometer, take the film to the chemist and get it developed and wait for it to come back, it sounds like. Put then it on e- a carrier pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Send your picture of your odometer back to reply to the email 
then get another email saying, oh, this is how much you've driven times cents per kilometre. This is how much you owe. And then please pay this, pay this sum. I mean, honestly. And it was really complicated for hybrid car drivers, right? Even more complicated. Yeah. I think we can agree, even if we don't agree with the arguments in the High Court, mm. that it was a really <laughs> stupid way to collect the tax. And then that's not even getting to whether it's sensible to tax EV drives at all this purpose. Which well, it was, which it's not, right? I mean, we want to encourage people towards mm. EVs. We don't want to tax them. I mean, it was a crazy tax. You mentioned before there were ramifications for electric vehicle policy. Mm-hmm. What are some of those ramifications? Well, I just think our electric vehicle policy is a little bit of a mess. So, yeah, this tax treatment is messy. And I guess we've taken away a disincentive for people to drive EVs. So maybe in that sense, it's a good thing. Mm. But there's also lots of other things that haven't happened yet. So the federal government said they were going to introduce fuel efficiency standards, which most other countries have done. And I think most people in the industry think that that's one of the biggest disincentives for producers of EVs to actually bring them into the Australian market. Because as long as they can still sell high emission vehicles here, they'd rather sort of dump them here and sell the low emissions vehicles in countries that have, you know, regulatory requirements. Now, the government says they're about to come in and there's all sorts of lobbying going on about how they would design that policy at the moment. But, you know, the bottom line is that transport is like, I think, the third biggest part of our emissions. We're lagging way behind the rest of the world in uptake of EVs and the implementation of policies to get EVs into the Australian market is now happening. You know, we've moved past the war on the weekend, but only just. It's Mm. happening really slowly. Sorry, I'm not sure if we have, I mean, we have moved past that particular phase of it, but I think there's plenty of scope for political opportunity as we come up to the next election because the coalition, I think it's clear, especially after the voice referendum, the seats they're interested in are going to be the outer suburban mm. ones, not the ones formerly held by the Liberals in the more inner city areas that, have, that went to the Teals at the last election. And fuel prices, the concept of the elites who can afford EVs as opposed to the battlers who are, you know, are left paying have high to, fuel have prices to buy expensive is, use. Mm. I think, uh, probably an attractive proposition to the coalition uh, politically. And that's it doesn't make sense because, <laughs> you know, you would think high fuel prices would encourage people to get on with an EV policy that would make it easier for people to buy cheaper EVs that are then going to ultimately cost them a lot less. But, you know, that's not the way politics works. Although I guess to be fair, in the transition time, there are equity issues. Like EVs are expensive here right now. People in regional and outer suburban areas do have to drive further. So, yeah, in the hopefully medium term, if people, you know, have EVs, then... It's cheaper for them, but in the short term, Definitely. I guess you can argue that there is an equity issue. Yeah, well, that's why we're kind of waiting for the government's policy to take on some, put some meat on the bones of their yeah. policy to see how yeah, they're going exactly. to ameliorate those those inequities. Well, we're one of the only developed countries not to have a fuel efficiency standard. Is the politics the reason we're so far behind, Lenore? Yes, I think so. Well, I mean, the previous government had no... I mean, there's been moves towards it for ages and ages, but I think the previous government sort of had no real interest in doing it. I think this government is now consulting with the industry and trying to figure out how to design a fuel efficiency standard. And there's all kinds of 
lobbying going on in that. But I think we will see it soon. They, they need to make it a consumer issue because as some figures that, that we published from Rewiring Australia this month showed, transport is a huge amount of household energy use. Like I was mm. shocked by those figures. There are huge savings here for consumers. If we can mm. get over that bridge of the upfront costs of buying an EV, once that's done, there's a big yeah. win for consumers. And we're also getting to the point where there's going to be a virtuous cycle because if government policy like government fleets and government policy can get enough new electric cars into the market, then there becomes a secondhand market and then many more people can afford to buy an EV. And we ran a change by degrees column a few weeks ago about the emerging secondhand market that you can actually now buy secondhand EVs and what to look for and how to go about it. So I think it started very slowly and we're way behind the pack, but with the right policy, I think we can start to catch up quite quickly. In the meantime, Australians are buying really big petrol SUVs that are also expensive. They certainly are. And I, and I mean, I think that kind of goes to the elites question as well. Like, uh, <laughs> the people who are buying massive SUVs, they are not cheap cars. No, you know, Mike, it's only an elite if you don't agree with the other person. No, that's the rule. And they also have been getting big tax cuts for those big cars. They had been, although they, those have been wound back somewhat now. But the rise in the proportion of those cars that are being bought is quite extraordinary. Like the proportion of SUVs has doubled in the last decade mm. of new cars being bought. Anyone who drives or rides on the road knows that. that they're like uh, in a city streets are just packed full of these monstrous double cab buttes and, and SUVs that really have very little place apart from tradies on the inner city streets. And apart from the tax treatment and encouraging lower emissions, having the fuel efficiency standard should, mm, should change that buying behaviour as well as moving from petrol powered cars to electric. It should also move from larger cars to smaller cars because manufacturers will have to, over their whole range, will have to provide more lower emissions cars. So um, there are many gains to be had. And the shift to SUVs is so profound that Standards Australia is looking at increasing the size of parking spaces mm. so that they can fit in. I mean, I guess there's some big EVs as well, it must be said, but um, not that many of them at the moment. So I think that change is being driven by the Turek tractors. But one thing they can they can do to help people who have older cars who may not be able to afford an EV uh, at the moment, as well as making EVs cheaper, is to offer incentives for them to give up their old cars, as has been done in other countries, particularly in the UK. They have they've had numerous scrappage schemes where you can trade in your old car. They've tried to offset the cost of that by, you know, offering... We had that offering... policy once. It just never saw the light of the day. Yeah. Remember Julia Gillard, cash for clunkers? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are arguments against that policy as well, but in some cases, part of those those schemes has been to offer people not just cash, but Rail discounts passes, on, their, yeah. on their public transport fees. Mm. So um, where people have access to good public transport, obviously, that can help to work as well, which not all our cities do to the same extent as yeah. London does. But I guess now here, we're going to see these two different strands from this High Court decision intersect in potentially complicated ways. So the need now to fill a tax hole and the need to incentivise EVs. And I think we need to be sort of quite alive to how they could possibly contradict one another. If, as Mike says, Lenore, this is going to be politically difficult, given the hammering Labor has just taken over the voice, do you think it's likely that they will release a policy very soon? I think they're going to have to 
do something in this space because mm. it is such an integral part of their global warming promises, their emission reduction promises. They can't do nothing, but there's going to be a lot of devil in the detail. Next, looking for friends after a loss and finding hope in small victories. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com/newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what's stuck in your mind this week? Um, so obviously we've all been thinking a lot about the outcome of the voice referendum this week, which was obviously not what we had editorialised in favour of. We've run a lot of interesting pieces in the aftermath of the referendum, a piece by Catherine Murphy and Josh Butler looking inside the campaigns. I think the comment piece by Thomas Keneally was very moving and Lorena Allen's comment piece on the night of the vote was really great. But the one that has really stayed with me was a piece by our reporter in rural Queensland, Aston Brown, who interviewed Indigenous residents in the electorates with the very highest no votes in the country, including a traditional owner in Dirrambandi who was sort of perplexed and said, it's not a racist town. We all get along. We've got a good community. I can go sit at the pub and have a beer with black people, white people. We all bleed red. We thought being this far down the road, we were all on the same page. You know, the yes vote in Dirrambandi was 21%. Or another elder from Birdsville who said it was devastating, maybe I don't have as many friends as I thought. And I don't know, just thinking about what it must feel like to be an Indigenous person in an electorate where almost everybody voted no was really, uh, it really stuck in my head. Yeah, me too. Mike, what can't you get out of your head? So I was looking for a small piece of optimism in this very bleak week of news from overseas and I found it in Poland. Maybe surprisingly, in the elections there last weekend, the opposition party did perhaps better than expected and looks potentially likely to form the next government. Uh, they're not perfect by any means. They're, you know, everyone has views about Donald Tusk, who has been the prime minister before, but it was really heartening to see people queuing in some cases late into the night to vote. And it looks like they have brought to an end a government which has done a lot of really 
disturbing things in terms of the judicial system, abortion rights, migration. So not a full-throated triumph, I don't think, but really uh, some some really heartening signs in a country that looked like it was sort of teetering on the brink of uh, populist authoritarianism. Mm. And um, yeah. A glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope, yes. That was my optimism. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. Joe Coning made our theme tune. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson, and Full Story will be back with you on Monday. We'll see you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.